0: There's more women owning businesses than there's ever been, particularly small business. And I would think that's actually a byproduct of some of the uh, gender discrimination that exists in organizations. A lot of women have just been fed up and they said, listen, I'm going to be able to progress more quickly in my career if I build something of my own. So that's wonderful to see.
1: Welcome to On Her Terms, a podcast that helps women nurture their unique personal power and channel it into creating a life that is truly their own. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. I know that most of us want a thriving career. We want to realize our ambitions and we are probably even emotionally invested in those goals, which I'm sure brings with it a degree of fear. And so we want to know what's working for us, what's not going to serve us going forward. How do we make the important decisions? Do we continue with our nine-to-five roles or start our own business? And right now, we are all also very worried about the massive amounts of change happening world over and what all of this change in the market means for us and our careers. So I invited onto the show Sarah Wermond, a career coach, founder of Careerism and the author of Career Gasm and Career Rookie. She helps people figure out what the heck they want so they can quit jobs they hate and do work that feels good. Her work has been featured in Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Entrepreneur, and Fast Company. And each month, her career advice is pumped into 30 million homes across North America. And in today's interview, Sarah answers for my listeners all the questions that I know you need the answers to so you can make better informed decisions regarding your career. And this interview will be especially helpful if you want to change things and take a different career approach. We also talk about the stress and the pressure that women experience working in a discriminatory environment and how best to manage that and the ideal approach to take when making career and potentially life altering decisions like going from a nine to five to starting your own business. I'm very excited about this because today's conversation is going to resolve a lot of your concerns, give you the answers that you need. But before we dive into that, I am very thrilled to announce a live workshop that I'm running for female business owners. I know that a lot of you struggle with self-doubt, imposter syndrome, fear of the unknown, as you take on this huge adventure. Being a business owner is a lot of responsibility, it's a lot of work, and as I've already mentioned, it's a lot of unanswered questions. But lucky for us, there are a lot of resources and coaches out there that can help us figure out our way to success. But None of that matters if our belief in ourselves is lacking. Because you could have the perfect strategy, precise steps to your goals, but your fears and self-doubt could keep you stuck so you never get to execute those strategies or take those steps. And that would be a terrible tragedy. The world deserves your work. It needs your work and your talent. And you deserve to fight for all of your dreams. Turn them into reality so you can finally live a life that fulfills you and more importantly as i've always said when women succeed the world changes for the better so let me help you sign up for this live workshop it's happening on august 25th and in this workshop i'm going to show you the number one mindset hack that will carry you through challenging periods how to dismantle your self-doubt so you are never paralyzed from fear The three tools that will make you unstoppable and how to create a system to support yourself through chaotic periods without losing your shit. And you get to learn all of this in the workshop, which is only for $27. I'm really excited about this and also about the fact that that at the end of our 60 minutes of workshop, we'll also make time for a live Q&A. So if you have any questions, you can share them and I will make sure to answer them and hopefully you will have advice specific to your struggles. The link to sign up for the workshop is in the episode description and the sign up will remain open only for a limited period. So I hope that if you're interested, if what I've shared sounds familiar to you, if these are the struggles that you are also facing, please sign up for the workshop and if you have any questions around the workshop, by all means, send them across. Now, let's get back to today's conversation. We are about to get answers to some very important questions and concerns we have around our career growth and the direction we should take. This was such an incredible conversation with Sarah Wermond, and I can't wait for you to dive in. So let's get to it. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah, for taking the time out for this conversation. I'm so, so so very glad to have you here. Thank you. Oh, it's my
0: pleasure. I mean, talking about work and talking about emotion, that's what I do. So I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah. So as I shared with you, we want to focus on like with everything that's changing, like the world is changing so rapidly. And with that, obviously, uh, the employment arena is changing, businesses are changing, the availability of opportunities, whether it's taking a hit or whether there's, you know, actually more opportunities are opening up. I want to talk about all of that. I want to dive deeper into all of that and hopefully create a resource that my audience, your audience can use so that they're not so afraid and they know actually what steps they can take in this period to instead to step away from the fear and actually do things that are going to move them forward so that's what I want to do so maybe we can start with you helping us understand how things are changing and what's the market like right now and how much of that do we even need to take on board like how much of that do we even need to stay open to or simply like stay locked into our own project
0: yeah well okay so I'm happy to get into that but I have to tell you I really like your last question there like how much do we really have this on um, because the truth is all throughout history things have always been changing right there's there's no such thing as uh stable and consistent and um you know there's no such thing as a quote fail proof industry or career though people would like to tell you those things exist. so the truth is um at whatever point you're in your career whether it's now or in the future or in the at whatever age you're in your career, I think it's wise not to spend too much time focusing only on the market and what's happening in the job market. And so anyone who is feeling a little bit of fear about what's going on and maybe they don't know what's happening, um, just make sure you take that step of yourself when you hear economists talking about what's going on in, in, uh, in the labor market. Because the truth is right now We are in a really wonderful point in the labor market, believe it or not. Now, explain why. Um, There are far fewer people looking for work than than there are people looking to hire workers right now. And what that means is now, more than any time in the past 30 years, workers and job seekers have more power than employers actually have. And that almost never happens. Usually it's the employers who have the upper hand. You might have heard of like, oh, there's like a labor market shortage and people can't hire, you know, the types of people want to hire. And that's actually a good thing for workers because it means workers have more choice and are able to make more empowered decisions when people are competing to hire them. So it's actually a wonderful thing. for Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh,
1: But do you think things have like the dynamic have changed any for women or do you think like there is just a level playing field? Because I don't think there has ever really been a level playing field, but perhaps uh, as someone who is very much in the field and someone who's talking to people who are actually going out there looking for jobs or to grow their own businesses. What, what have you observed? How are things changing for women, if, if at all?
0: Well, the truth is there's never been a level playing field for women. So I would agree with you there. Um, and I will also say things are slowly at a snail's pace improving for women in the workforce because, you know, we see like slowly but surely we're not there yet. But, you know, we're, we're getting more rights in organizations. There's less gender disparity in organizations. The pay gap, depending on who you are, is closing slightly. So things are getting slightly better for women in organizations. And I don't necessarily think that is because society is a whole lot better. I don't necessarily think that's because the patriarchal structures that we live in are better. I think it's because women... Um, have gathered and spoken to each other and are taking small steps forward to sort of claim our power where we can in ways that feel safe. But the truth is sometimes it doesn't always feel safe but in the context where we can women are trying to make some some power moves and that's been happening you know slowly over several decades.
1: Yeah so things are improving for women and things are definitely swinging in the favor of job seekers. So that's actually really good news. We're we're not, this is not grim at all. If we were to like take on board that viewpoint, things are actually very optimistic and where do business owners come into this dynamic?
0: Well, there's more women owning businesses than there's ever been, particularly small business. And I would think that's actually a byproduct of some of the, Uh, gender discrimination that exists in organizations a lot of women have just been fed up and they said listen i'm going to be able to progress more quickly in my career if i build something of my own um so that's wonderful to see
1: what i will
0: say is this varies quite a bit both for people who work for others and people who work for themselves this varies quite strongly industry by industry because some industries as i'm sure you know are more (sighs) oppressive to women than others right um i have a woman i just helped leave uh the aeronautics engineering industry and she really wanted to stay in it but she kept running into brick wall after brick wall after brick wall because it's a heavily male-dominated industry she dealt with a lot of sexism a lot of misogyny and she just wasn't going to do it anymore. and now she's a thriving business owner um so it kind of depends on what industry you're in how much progress or how, how far things have moved forward Women in the workplace.
1: okay i have so many questions here <laughs> i think this is something you don't really realize when you're because i am a business owner i work from home and uh, it's been a while since i worked in a nine-to-five setting but when i did do that i i didn't feel as much of that gender discrimination or the sexist um, attitude but i feel like it happens a lot to people who are willing to to take it. And I feel like this is such a provocative comment, but I, I want to know what that's like. Because while we are saying that there the women are more in, in a better position to make power moves, if you are in a blatantly discriminatory work environment, does that even work out? Because you can have all the power in the world, but if your environment isn't conducive to any kind of forward movement, then what do you do in a situation like that? How do you handle that? Keeping in mind that you have to grow in that industry.
0: Yeah, it's a very tip- difficult thing to manage. Um, and I can give you a personal example too. Um, I used to be a professor at a business school. And yes, there were some, some female professors, but most of my colleagues were men. Um, and there's just a certain, there's only so much latitude that you can have when you're working in an industry that's not fully dist- um, distributed by by gender, it's not equally um you know same same number of, of every gender in the workplace. And so what I want to say is like for people who are let's say for women who are working in male dominated industries, I think we have to take care to um to notice the nuance of having to survive in an industry like that, right? Like Let's say there's someone who's working in a male-dominated industry. that was very hard to get there. Spent years, so spent lots of time, lots of money, lots of energy building that career. And um, you know, sure, you you can call someone out on their sexism or the misogyny. That's something that's easier to do if you work for yourself. If you're not someone who works for yourself, and let's say it's your boss who has an issue with Misaki, um, or a hiring committee that has some um, low-key, less obvious issues with gender, but things that still exist there, it's almost like walking a, a tightrope on a daily basis and deciding when to speak up and how to speak up and whether or not speaking up is going to prevent you from, let's say, getting a promotion or moving forward in your career. So I think for folks like you and me who have our own businesses who work for ourselves, it's much easier to manage than it is for women who are working in organizations who, you know, when they choose to and when they do that sort of internal analysis about whether to push back, whether to speak up, like, you know, I'm such a fan of that. But I also know, like, there are real um repercussions for doing that often for women yeah. in their careers. So I think I think we have to have empathy for women as they navigate this. And I think we have to have a lot of understanding um, and nuance around this issue. And it's not as simple as saying, well, just push back. Well, just speak up. Because very often when someone does that, she pays for it.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. And again, as I said, I've never been in situations like that, so I don't... I don't I can't even imagine what that must be like, just uh, the sheer pressure of that situation, the stress and the trauma that would cause what, according to you, what industries are opening up to women more? And is, is geography playing a role in that? Uh, because I would love to understand because no, we don't have to stay within our countries anymore. People are very willing, especially post pandemic, they're very willing to move around. So I would love to get that answer out there.
0: Sure. Well, this isn't a simple answer because, sure, as willing as folks are to perhaps move, uh, there are visas required, and it's not as easy to move around to work as you might want A lot of hoops to jump through, so yeah. it's not as simple as saying, oh, I'd love to work somewhere on the beach. Let's just move my life over there. Um, An economist would actually do a job of telling you what's happening in like all of the different countries. I'm a career coach, so I can't give you that the overlay of uh, what's happening in the global economy for work. Um, But I can tell you, here in North America, I think it would do well to take some fees from Scandinavian countries. Scandinavian countries are typically quite progressive in their their labor, um, I guess just in in the way that they they run labor in their organizations. They have wonderful benefits in those organizations. Um, Taking parental leave, is much more generous in those industries. And so typically, women in those countries, sorry, not industries, countries tend to have an easier time navigating the career because uh, their country supports things like childbearing and raising children. Uh, and we know that's still disproportionate among men and women, so that makes a difference. The next slides. Um I wouldn't say there are particular industries. That are now opening up for women. There's nothing necessarily, um, no, no fireworks sort of event opening up for for women in particular industries. Uh, but there are certainly a few dinosaur industries that are dragging their feet that have always been old boys clubs that uh, that are quite slow to adapt to uh, letting women be admitted into some of those industries. So things like manufacturing things like engineering things like finance even is, although that's opening up quite a bit uh some of those old boys clubs, and it's hard for women in those circumstances
1: yeah i can imagine so would you recommend if you were like if a woman encounters this kind of behavior at a workplace where she's being uh, due to bias she's being held back should she fight the system, or would you recommend that she walks? Because, like you shared, the example of the aeronautical engineer, it's not that easy to do. I mean, I don't. I would love to know what an aeronautical engineer is totally invested in their field. What, where do they move? What do they do? Because that's not always exactly a no-brainer. There, has to be like a lot of thought and involved. And if you have a high-stakes life, wherein you have have a kid or debt. It's not exactly an easy decision to make. You would put up with a lot to not have to endure uh, homelessness or, or more
0: debt or stuff like that. Yeah. So typically what people prefer to do when they come up against not just misogyny and sexism in a workplace, but even things like homophobia, transphobia, racism, anything where they're feeling like they're not being treated fairly in an organization. There's almost like three levels you want to consider. So usually first, because people have worked very hard to get where they are, they try and fix the situation with the boss or with the job in the organization. Right? So they'll try they'll try and do that. Maybe that means speaking to HR, maybe that means um, you know, soundboarding and workshopping some stuff with a colleague. Maybe it means working with a coach. To sort of put together a plan of strategy for how to deal with this. Right. That's usually the first tier that people try to manage on their own. And I think it's I think it's always worth a shot to see if you can try and fix something in your current job. Uh, tricky, tricky to navigate, but definitely worth a shot. If that doesn't work, the second tier is to maybe not necessarily leave the industry, but maybe the problem is your boss. Or maybe the problem is your employer, not necessarily the whole industry. So by making a job change, either by moving to a different job within your organization where you'll have a better boss, or making an employer organizational change and staying in the industry, like maybe there's just organizations out there that have a way better culture and way better leadership team, where you can still do the same kind of work that you're doing, but you can do it elsewhere. Now, if you happen to be in one of those industries where the issues are fairly rampant, that's also tricky, right? So we have the third tier, which then means, oh man, like I have tried to resolve this with my boss and it didn't work. I tried to move around in my industry and it didn't work. By that point, it's probably been years and you're probably very fed up. And At that point, you might be considering not just a job change, but more of a career change. And that's where someone like me comes in. I tend to work with people who have a job that they would love to leave, but they don't know what they want to do next. So they're not just looking for someone to tell them what to do next. They're wanting to look inward to figure out what it is they want to do next because what they're doing right now feels bad. And that's where the
1: most interesting part comes in (laughs) because I really want to know what that process looks like when someone signs up with you when someone decides to work with you and they dive into that process that follows, what does that look like? Because I think not everybody can afford to work with coaches. Not everybody can afford to work with agencies, but I think just having some idea of what questions to ask themselves, how to self-explore their own psyche and their own interests. I think that could help immensely.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty magical. And I've been doing this work for 10 years and it's, it's, so, it's such gratifying work because when people do make a change like this, it really changes lives. But I will say, you're right, not everybody can afford that kind of work. So I should say, on my website, careergasm.com, I have a free course that anyone can take. Just a three-day course, it's totally free, to help people start thinking about the elements that they want to have in the next phase of their career and the elements that they would love to leave in their dust, like stuff that's not invited into the next phase of their career. So that's a wonderful starting point for anyone. Um, most of the people who come my way, who end up uh, working with me, are people who have felt lost and stuck for a couple of years. And they've been trying to figure it out on their own for a couple of years. They feel trapped in their current career. All of their ideas seem like kind of foggy and fuzzy. They can't really figure out what they want. And that's a really painful place for people to be, particularly ambitious people, if you're someone who's ambitious and you're used to channeling your energy in your career, it's actually quite painful to not know what you want. Um, and so when I work with people, I work with them on what I call parallel tracks. So it's almost like there's two things we're doing at once. One on the first track, and this is the more obvious track, is you know helping that person figure out what matters to them, figure out what they want to do next, and come up with a plan to go after. So I do all of that with folks. But then there's this other invisible track that's also very important that most people don't think about. And that's doing all of the internal personal development work to help you get out of your own way so that you don't run into the brick walls that you've built yourself, so that you don't deal with sort of the hangups and the baggage uh, and you don't bring those into the next phase of your career. Um, that involves working on the emotional side of making career change. Because let me tell you, There's nothing like making a career change that will make people fear and anxiety spike. So we have to work through that as well. The process is wonderful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I this is always such a even if you're not ambitious, career change is never ever easy. So I agree on that, and my sympathies empathy for anyone who is going through that period it's so challenging i'm going to share the link to the course in the episode description so that if anybody wants to like go right check it out right away they'll find it there um can i ask like at the end of their time with you like going through that process with you is it like do people end up switching industries do people end up moving in the same industry do people end up like quitting nine to five and going and you know, building up their business. Is there any particular thing that happens more often than the other? What is that? What the end result looks like?
0: Yeah, I have worked with with a handful of people who make, you know, a small change. So they might stay within their industry. Um, so sort of like a tiny tweak, career change. But actually, more often than not, the folks I work with have a sense that the change they need is bigger than that. So for some of them, it means leaving industry. Something new and taking transferable skills but using them in a totally different direction. Um and I do work with some people who need to start their own business. And so I work with everyone from the tiny tweak career changes to the total 180. And when I start working with people, folks don't usually know exactly what that like final destination job is when we start. Otherwise they wouldn't be working with you, right? If they knew what they wanted, they'd be yeah. <laughs> Um, however, um, a lot of people do start with a general sense of how major or minor a change they're looking for. Um, like people tend to come in with a general sense of like, you know what? I just got to change a couple of things and then I think it'll feel better. Or more often than not, they'll say, listen, I've been spinning my wheels in this industry for years now. And I'm really scared, but I think what I actually need is a more significant change. So it's it's less about knowing the exact GPS coordinates when we start. And it's more about like having a sense of which direction your compass is going. Okay, to. that must be such
1: an interesting process to dive into. And so reassuring to have someone so completely in your corner trying to help you figure this out that that must be like amazing it should be available to everyone everyone should go through that process uh, preferably you know when you are on the cusp of making such big decisions like you after quitting college or after completing college
0: not quitting college completing college <laughs> stuff like that yeah. that would really help i always tell people um i'm such a huge fan of clarity before strategy because here's what i think often happens for people is they you know, they realize that they're not feeling great in their job, and so the first thing they do is they panic, and they hit the job boards to see what's available, right? And usually when that happens, they get very frustrated because they don't even know what they're looking for. They need change, but they don't know what they're looking for. And I'm going to tell you, it's pretty darn hard to do an effective job search if you don't know what you're looking for, right? It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. So it's almost like people, naturally, this is... It's like an understandable thing people do they sort of reach for strategy when they're feeling stressed out but what they should be doing is taking a short pause and focusing on clarity first figuring out what that thing is that they want before they move to strategy because you want to make sure you're building a strategy in the right direction right not just panicking and jumping into something else I always tell my clients if you are going to jump ship you want to inspect the lifeboats, the holes. So, you want to make sure you're jumping into something yeah. that is actually going to sustain you for a while and not just jumping from place to place um, without the clarity and intentionality of knowing what's actually going to be a good fit for you.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I have to ask like, we have established that currently the market is actually in favor of job seekers, but with all this talk about recession with how things are changing so quickly, everything, there's like so much chaos in the world right now. So, right now, considering everything that's happening, all of the fear mongering, especially that's going on, because that has to impact your psychology, that has to impact your emotions. Would you suggest this to be a good time for women to go into like quit their 9 to 5 and own uh, and start building their business?
0: I actually think that the decision to start your own business should have very little to do with timing and with the current economy because that fluctuates all the time. I think a much better approach to the question would be to ask yourself what it is you want to do on a longer term basis, right? I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily someone who believes we should it, be making we you know, multi-year lifetime decisions about career based on the current place where where the market is. Um, and so I think a really empowered approach to think about this would be to ask yourself, what do you want? And what do you see yourself doing in the future? And how can you set that up for yourself in a way that feels safe, right? So some people feel safer with the, <laughs> I'll say, perceived certainty of having a regular paycheck and then every two weeks and benefits, right? Um, you know, I have a friend who just got laid off suddenly. So, you know, having a full-time job isn't as stable as we might think, right? So there's some instability there too. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, you know, it depends on what feels safe and right for you. And I think the best thing we can do is honor what feels right for us And then find a way to make that thing feel safe. For example, I'm someone who really likes um, stability, really likes safety and security, but I'm an entrepreneur and I just had to find ways to bake that into my business so that I felt safe taking the small risks associated with small business ownership. right? Um, So decisions like that, I think, um, should come from the gut from the heart and then use the mind to figure out a way to do it in a way that's going to feel safe and good for you agreed i
1: agree 100 with you and thank you so much for uh pointing out the perceived certainty of a nine-to-five because yeah keeping that in mind you have a cushion uh from unexpected blows as they seem to be raining down right now on everyone so <laughs> definitely i would say that both the sides have so much to offer. And I'm also someone who was very, very risk averse. In fact, I was someone who had just like completed my recovery from depression and built up my mental health and was so careful not to jeopardize anything when I took that leap, when I decided to go for my business. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm taking a quick break here to remind you to subscribe to On Her Terms. Subscribing means that you get the latest episode without fail delivered to you every week, and it helps me reach a wider audience. If you haven't already, please pick up your phone and subscribe now. Let me know that you appreciate the content I'm sharing. Thanks in advance. And correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I would recommend the method I use. This is what, how I assess whether I was ready or not. I... Thought about what the worst day would be for me running that business that I was planning. What the worst day would look like, and I compared that to the best day to my best days in a nine to five, and I realized that I would choose the worst day over the best day in a nine to five. That's how I decided that I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it.
0: That's interesting. I have my clients do uh, do um, a worksheet, and there's an exercise we do that I call worst case scenario. And I think sometimes when we're afraid of change. We we come up with, you know, whether it's thinking about starting your own business or even something as simple as making a career change, even if it's one of those tiny tweaks, career changes. Change is scary. But I think what happens when we're scared of change is we come up with these crazy dystopian stories about the worst case scenario. What I would my clients do is I actually have them come up with a realistic worst case scenario. Like, okay, what is the realistic worst case scenario? If this thing you want doesn't pan out. So it's slightly different than what could be, been, like, you know, the worst day. But, like, what's the worst case scenario? So I can use myself as an example. Back when I was working as a professor and wanting to start this business, I asked myself, okay, well, what if the business doesn't work out, Sarah? You worked very hard to get here. What are you going to be then? And I said, well, I am miserable in my current job. In back fact, I was so miserable that I was getting sick. I was having all sorts of health issues. So I had mental health issues, I had physical health issues, and I've been struggling for a couple of years. And so I said to myself, Okay, you know, even though you're an intelligent person and you've got a plan for this business, it's possible it won't pan out. What are you gonna do if that happens? And I said, Well, if this doesn't pan out, I guess I will get a job doing something else. And the truth is I have a great relationships with former colleagues and employers. So maybe I would try and just get one of those jobs with them until I figure things out. And that was literally my worst-case scenario. And the truth is, most people's worst-case scenario is something similar. It's a version of, if this thing I want doesn't work out, I guess I will move to plan B and then recalibrate. And I think it's actually strangely empowering to look at the worst-case scenario because it pulls you out of that, like, Crazy dystopian story about living in a van down by the river, yeah. and like,
1: like the crazy stuff that's never, yeah, absolutely, that makes so much sense. I am so against this idea, like, some people uh, believe that you should just take off the training wheels and just go all in, remove all safety gear because when you make it that real, then you're really gonna work for it. And I'm like, not everybody can handle that kind of stress, that's crazy. If you have anxiety, you're probably gonna fall apart within the first six months, have a breakdown or something. So I love this idea. I love what you've said. And I'll share honestly, uh, Sarah, after I started my business a few months down the line, I, I was craving that stability. I was craving it so badly, not because I needed money or anything. I just was craving the certainty of constant money coming in. So I decided to take on a job that played well with my um, hours. It was an online job. I was taking independent research projects that paid really well. And it was great. Like they would take up an entire day. Uh, They weren't easy by any means, but I was so happy
0: doing that. It it meant more work for me, but I I was good with that. I love that. It sounds like you took on what I call a just for now job. Which is a job that will give you the stability you need while you're building something else. Most of the folks I work with, um, for the people who, let's say, want to start their own business, um, unless they really want to do the rip off the band aid approach, you know, maybe 5% of the people I work with do that. But actually, what most of them feel more comfortable doing, and what I always suggest people do, because this is what I did when I started, is like, Why not start building something, you know, maybe in small spurts while you have the security of your 9-to-5 job? And so you can do a slow Mm -hmm. build. It feels much safer to do it. And you'll have sort of worked out the kinks before you jump into the deep end. And it just takes a lot of the pressure off right away. So I really believe, you know, whatever path you choose, I think it's so important to honor the natural feelings that come up. Fear and anxiety are some of them. And you have to find a way to manage them as you go. Because I don't actually think it's realistic to make them go away. It's more about softening them and coming up with a plan for how to manage them as you go through. Because we're human. And we're going to have feelings as we're doing good yeah. things for
1: Yeah, I would any day take slow and steady over crashing and burning. Probably. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense to me. And there's another question I want to ask. I think I know the answer to this, (laughs) but I'm not sure. And I think my audience would believe it better if it comes from you. But I often get like this question in sessions. Do you think I have what it takes to be a business owner? Things are so different now. There are all kinds of businesses and there are all kinds of business owners. So does that question have validity anymore? Like, do I have what it takes to build a business?
0: I think it's really valid that people are asking me that question. And I'll tell you what I say when people, my clients ask me that question. So let's say I'm working with with a business development client. Let's say it's a woman who wants to start her own business. And she says, Sarah, do I have this, what it takes? I would say it actually doesn't matter whether I think you have what it takes. The fact that you're asking this question probably, suggest that you have some fears about maybe not having what it takes. So I'll ask them, what specific thoughts and stories and fears and anxieties do you have that are saying you don't have a taste? And the more specific and more granular we get those stories, the more we can sort of unpack them and address them and actually give you tools to work through maybe some of the thought processes that you didn't even know were running in the background. Maybe there's been some stories you've been telling yourself for years and years and years that you need to shine a little bit of light on so that you can develop a little more confidence going forward. So it's sort of like working through the thoughts and emotions that are causing a question like that. Then the other thing you want to do is let's say there are some legitimate gaps that they have, some skills that they need to develop to become a better business person. And it's just a matter of building a strategy to develop those things, right? So remember I talked about those two tracks before? We're addressing both of those tracks here. One is the emotional, mental side of making a scary change. Then the other part is developing a strategy where you recognize maybe there are some constraints around the thing you want to do, and we just make a plan for how to deal with that.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that approach. That's brilliant, actually. I think this is this is really helpful, and that's the approach you need to take instead of freaking out, as we are, you know, prone to do when we have those, because because it's so easy to believe that we are we don't have what it takes, and everyone else has something special that we are clearly not aware of. <laughs> so, I think this is really helpful and will help you stay grounded as you go through that process. Now, I I want to ask, like, this is such an ongoing debate, where I know how you made the switch from being in a job to becoming a business owner that was quite drastic for you i've read on your story on your website you were in a starbucks and what happened (laughs) so uh that was that was quite the leap so I think it's not like that with everyone not a lot of people have that kind of certainty because of such a drastic event in their life and i think that's it's for the best probably (laughs) so uh, in scenarios like that is there anything specific that people need to delve into to before they make the leave right like as they're making this decision and how they want to structure their approach forward because there's such an ongoing debate about no, you you need to hustle. You need to work 16 hours every day versus you actually don't need to hustle. It's about the mindset. It's about, the. uh, I am someone who does believe that you kind of have to hustle if you're building a business. There is like a lot of work that needs to be done and you are in the initial stages doing the work of many, many people. But again, you're the expert here. So I want to
0: hear from you. Well, I think we're probably both experts, and it's totally okay that, you know, maybe we've had different experiences. <laughs> it's true for everybody, right? Every human on planet Earth has a different experience. Um, perhaps I should maybe just share what you were referring to about that Starbucks yes, moment. So yes. what what you're referring to is, um, you know, back when I was a professor working in a business school, I, I did what most people try to do when they start to realize they don't like the path they're on. And so I tried to push it down. Because that's what we all try to do at first, right? We just try and push those feelings down and power through. And so I had been doing that for about two years. Honestly, not very successfully. Like I said, you know, my mental health was terrible. I started getting, you know, weird shit started happening with my health. I would get unexplained hives. You know, my back would hurt on the regular. One time I, like, passed out in the middle of a subway, like a concrete subway platform. Like, these were not good. Um, but I've been trying to power through. And one day I was just at a Starbucks working on my research. Uh, and research is a big part of a professor's job, like 80% of the professor's job. And I don't know why it happened on that day, but I just could not do it anymore. And something happened, like the best way I can describe it is like like I had like a breakdown and it felt like Everything was happening in slow motion. I had that feeling where I felt like I was outside of my own body watching it unfold. And I started crying uncontrollably. I was shaking. I nearly spilled my coffee all over my laptop. And I took myself in the parking lot to my car, composed myself, tried to go back in and start working again. And it happened again. Like I just couldn't recover. And I was very embarrassed. It was a full coffee shop. I am normally someone who has it together. And this was definitely not a together. So yeah, I had I had a I had a breakdown from you know, out of Starbucks. And it took me two years of being unhappy to get to that point. Um, and I gave notice the next day. So some people do reach a what I'll call a breaking point, like there's an incident that happens. Um, and I think that happened for me because I had been all of the patient how it becomes I to power through. So, you know, one of the reasons I do the work I do is to try and try and help people make career challenges in a way that is less painful and less embarrassing and less sudden and jarring experience. Yeah. Um and so, you know, sure, some people get to the breaking point, but a better way to do this is to start noticing the nudges and whispers when they come up, when you get that little you know, tap on the shoulder from the universe that says, Hey, hon, like things aren't going so well. Maybe we should think about better change. Um, and so, the structure for that process, at least the structure that I help people with, is, um, you know, kind of like I was mentioning before, like we take some time to figure out what are the movements they want in the next phase of their career. We work on the fear and anxiety at the same time, so on those two parallel tracks. And we take a couple of months to figure things out. So there's almost like there's almost like three stages. It's not this simple because they overlap, but the first stage is the clarity work, like figuring out what matters to you, coming up with a shiny couple of shiny options that you want to pursue. Then I have people do really great research to make sure that their ideas about what something is going to be is actually what it's like. Because we don't want to be making a high stakes career change decision based on, you know, just like your assumptions about what a field might be like. And then after that, only after that, we get into strategy made so that the plans actually take action. So as far as structure goes, I think the fact that I give people structure for this process makes it feel a little bit safer. And I certainly wish I had had something like that when I went through my business. I swear, yeah. oh my
1: god yes what you are describing that's a lifesaver trust me that is the approach to take if i i hope that everyone who makes that leap does this work maybe with you or if you know they want to do it a different way they do it a different way but they do it because this is i wish i had done that when i was making that leap because yeah you you, you you're going to fail you're going to hit like big bumps and you're gonna have setbacks for sure. But there are certain, when those setbacks happen in the very beginning, it can really demoralize you. It can really, you know, create like this period of time where you start to lose faith in yourself. Cause you've, by that point, you have not really experienced the highs. All you're experiencing are lows. So you can actually avoid that if you go through this process that you are describing. It's so wonderful. And I really hope people don't have to do it, you know, the lonely way. Because that lonely way can really be very, very lonely. And they also don't have to go through the experience that you went through. As you were describing it, I felt like my chest go cold. That is so scary to have a breakdown in, in such a public setting. It's, man... I, I hope nobody else has to go through that.
0: Yeah, and I love the way you're, you're describing um, you know, the experience of people doing it on their own. as like the lonely way. Because the truth is, it does feel very lonely sometimes when you're yearning for something else and you don't know what that thing is. And unfortunately, we live in a society that isn't okay with people talking about uncertainty and feeling stuck and lost. We live in a society that really only rewards people for talking about when they have their shit together. Um, but so often, we, we don't have our shit together, right? Like, I know I've had many times in my life, I'm sure you have too, where you haven't really felt like you have your shit together, or you felt lost and you felt stuck, or you're you know, felt hugely afraid of something you wanted, and that is, in fact, a very lonely process. with like,
1: yeah, absolutely. And the, the other question that I had was about hustle. Is that as much of a dirty word as some people make it out to be? Or is it like <laughs> just an essential part of the path, and you simply have to make it work for you?
0: Well, it depends on what your definition of hustle is. I happen to be someone who believes in um, deep, intuitive, led direction and decision making paired with hard work. Um, Some people, when they talk about hustle, it's actually more about hours you put in and getting on that hamster wheel and staying on the hamster wheel. And the truth is, I don't think that's necessary. I've had a very successful business and there's very few weeks that I've had to work more than 40 hours a week. Um, You know, I was just telling you before this podcast started, I took this morning off and went on a nature walk with a friend. Um, There's a lot of freedom that can come with having your own business but I think what it actually takes is, um, you know, because the truth is, when someone is hustling, they can be working on things that don't necessarily matter, like busy work. I think it's much better to, to be intentional and strategic about what needs to get done and what order things need to get done in, right? Because you are not going to do everything all at once. Businesses have stages of growth. I'm quite ambitious, so that is something I have to remind myself of on a daily basis. Like, hang on, Sarah, like you can't you can't go from zero to hundred here just in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you're someone who uses the word hustle to talk about hard work, absolutely, I, I believe that hard work is a part of having business, and I think the best thing you can do is pair hard work with clear, intentional, intentional, intuitive led decision-making. I think that's an achievement.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wish someone had given me that advice when I was starting because, man, I dove in. And hustle can actually be very addictive because you feel like you're being such a boss because you're working so many hours in a day. And that in itself, like you you build in a reward system into it. And it feels like, yeah, you're doing everything right. And this is just going to take off. And you forget that, hello, there's a direction to be followed. And you're not following any direction at all where where are you even going at this speed
0: (laughs) so i love that you pointed it out yeah like there's a lot of people who their hustle is actually not about doing good work their hustle is actually just a way to manage their panic and anxiety and so it's not very strategic what they're doing it's like they're just sort of like pounding the hours back um, and so, hustle. Sometimes, for some people, I don't think you're one of these folks. But for some people, um, hustle can be a signal that maybe there's like some panic going on, and people are feeling like maybe they don't have the control they want to have with their business. Um, I think hustle can be heavy, uh, and it's very different than putting in a good day of work. I'm a big fan of putting in a good day. Of
1: work. Yeah. I love that. I love this uh, answer, Sarah. And I hope my audience is paying attention because hustle is glamorized by some people, and hustle is demonized by others. Guys, it's it's neither of those two things. Listen to what Sarah is saying because I really I am so in favor of the response that you've given, and I really wish I had worked with a coach at the very starting point of my business. That would have saved me so much, so much pain, and so much. Um, wasted hours and wasted energy that would have been amazing so i would definitely recommend that so care to share how people can work with you what that looks like yeah there's
0: three different groups of people i work with so i help people make career changes so i have a special career change program and that's that's a large bulk of my work um i also help people start businesses uh like you i'm a I'm very passionate about helping people get out of a a work situation that's feeling bad and help them bring this idea that they have to life, but in a way that feels doable and safe and like you have a good plan for. And then the third group of people I work with, I work with people who have just recently graduated from school who don't know how they want to start their career. So anyone who feels lost coming out of school, I have a special program for 20-somethings called Career Rookie that helps them get their career started on the right foot. Um, But with all of that said, I have a ton of free resources at careerdozen.com. There's that course I told you about. There are free workshops you can do. So for anyone who's just trying to, you know, dip their toe in to get things figured out career-wise. I actually think some of my free stuff is a
1: wonderful place to start. Okay. I'm going to make sure to share the links to all of that, uh, all of that and you're going to find the links in the episode description. Now, for my last question that I asked all of my uh, guests on the show is um, care to share a moment from your life when you felt drained and all out of confidence, but you had to show up. You had to bring your A-game. What was it that you did? Where did you find the inspiration? Ah,
0: you know, I had a a situation like this over the pandemic, actually, where Careergasm, my company, was growing, and there were some structural things, like the platform I was on I needed to change, like all of the systems I was using, I had outgrown them, and so I had to to level up and, and, you know, migrate my systems to like a new. That was not particularly inspiring work for me. So I did what most people would do, which is to procrastinate it on it for a really long time. Um, and that was a really bad feeling, just procrastinating it. And I realized the issue wasn't actually the work itself. The issue was some fears I had around my business growing. And so actually for me, I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but for me, I actually not only had to like create some space for the work, I had to create some space for some inside work to deal with the fears and anxieties I was having about the business growing in general. There was a part of me that felt like I would lose my freedom if my business grew too much. And so even myself, when I'm working out these issues, I'm always working on these parallel tracks of like the practical side of things and then the deeper emotional, personal development stuff you have to on stuff. And wouldn't you know, once I did all of that internal work, things started moving and I didn't feel so paralyzed by the work anymore.
1: That's it for today's episode. So did you love it or did you love it? Thank you for joining me today and sharing your time. If you're eager for more, head on over to onhertermspot.com for show notes, guest information, downloads, and more. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, ask questions, and share your struggles with other powerful women, join my intimate community over on Facebook. The link will be in the episode description. Until next week, this has been another episode of On Her Terms Podcast.